0: Hello and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read through the Lord of the Rings. Today we are on Book Five, Chapter Four, the Siege of Gondor, uh, and this is Episode Forty Seven. Um, so, uh, a little bit of summary uh, for today's episode: Pippin wakes up.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right, though. I mean, I it's, can't even laugh. The, at I that, am correct, that,
0: uh, um, but there's another awakening. Yeah. Uh, literally, Pippin uh, wakes up. And uh, he and Gandalf go to meet Denethor to find out what Pippin will be doing. Uh, Pippin is to be the esquire of Denethor's chamber. Pippin goes and spends some, uh, spends some time uh, with Baragond and they notice that the, uh, there is a small company of men riding to Minas Tirith and they are being assaulted by the black riders riding beasts of the air. There's a horn, and they notice that actually Faramir is actually one of these men. And Gandalf rides against uh, the Nazgul. He rides out and holds up his hand, and and a white beam of light wards off the the Black Riders. Faramir, uh, actually, we're we're recording this on Father's Day, um, which is fitting, because we have Denethor being the worst father of the year award. Um, Denethor and Faramir and Gandalf and Pippin, they are together uh, talking and Jynothor, amongst other things, mentions to Faramir that he wishes that Boromir had lived and Faramir had died. And Faramir is commanded to the outer defenses of the city. And so there's a great plain in between and Faramir's is uh, at Osgiliath. There is, in this chapter, is actually very long. There's um, a bunch of war that happens. Uh, so there are some maneuvers of troops and fighting. But uh, Faramir comes back and he is uh, gravely wounded uh, with a, um, a dart that he is taking some sort of fe- uh, fever. Denethor gives up hope um, and he starts to act mad and he commands that a funeral pyre, pyre be set um, for him and Firemire. Gandalf, meanwhile, is commanding the defense of the city and at this time the Lord of the Nazgul breaks through uh, with a uh, battering ram through the-, the main gates. Gandalf and the Lord of the Nazgul meet they exchange some words, and then all of a sudden the, the Rohirrim arrive, and that's the end of the chapter. So, long chapter, actually, quite yeah. a bit. Yeah.
1: I think it's a great chapter, though. It's actually one of my favorites in Book 5. like it a lot. I think it's very emblematic of Book 5. It's got all the stuff that I think about when I think about Book 5. We have really tense dialogue exchanges about politics and the sort of what's necessary tactically, we have cool battle scenes. Uh, we got it all. This is this is book five in in the chapter. Everything is here, and I do like it. Uh, I in general I don't care as much for book five as I do for the rest of the books. Yeah, but I think I, that would I like this chapter quite a bit. And I think let's see. I I mean, uh, sort of like the thing I want to start with here, I guess, is is Denethor. I think he's really like a central part of this. I guess. Um, sure. And it is Father's Day. uh, As you said, he is being the worst father ever. Denethor in general is just not a particularly sympathetic character. He is clearly someone of sort of great importance and sort of noble blood. But he's clearly a scumbag. And Tolkien does not really seem to respect him much at all. He is... I take him as sort of the antithesis of Theoden, right? If Theoden is a king who is really, I guess, a leader of his people, because Denethor is not a king, Right. But right. they're both leaders of the people. Theoden gets depressed and down on his people. And he listens to Gandalf. And all Gandalf really does is have Theoden walk outside. Take a look. you know, breathe the, breathe the clear air. And okay. Actually, you know what? There are some things we can do. And Theoden consistently embraces the idea that, and we saw this last chapter, he consistently embraces the idea that if we have to die, let's embrace it. Let's go out in glory in doing the right thing. Denethor rejects this, right? Denethor says, at some point in this chapter, he says, uh, why, why are my soldiers running away? Uh, we all have to burn and, and die essentially, right? May as well do it sooner rather than later. That's uh, not the same thing, right? Um, obviously, I'm not saying like Denethor's right to say they shouldn't run away, but his reasoning for them not running away is totally wrong. Um, it's not about... He actually
0: has that explicitly with, uh, with Faramir. He has that conversation yeah. where Faramir... Uh, Oh, shoot, now I'm going to forget the quote. I don't have it written down. Oh, yes, here it is. So um, Denethor is uh, judging Faramir for um, how he treated Frodo. And Denethor uh, says to Faramir, Every your desire is to appear lordly and generous as a king of old, gracious, gentle, that may well befit one of a high race if he sits in power and peace, but in desperate hours gentleness may be repaid with death. Yeah. And Faramir says, so be it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So so he is saying there, it sounds like, it's not necessarily about embracing your fate and doing the right thing, which is sort of ironic because Faramir is sitting here in, in Gondor, which we've talked about as a sort of uh, Tolkien's version of the ancient Mediterranean world. It's not a direct analog. It's not necessarily meant to be. He's just borrowed a lot of the aesthetic. But as a result, it does heighten the contrast here. With denethor because in the ancient mediterranean there was a sort of amor fati you know love of fate kind of thing um that denethor does not have and it makes me think about gondor being this great civilization is is there something here tolkien's getting at at sort of civilizations as you know rotting and denethor here is at the end and he's showing that decay and that rotting of gondor and of the idea of these civilizations maybe they kind of need to be sort of rebuilt because the the Rohirrim are, like I said, the, the Theoden's the antithesis, so the Rohirrim get this right. And in general, the book's sympathies lie with Rohan, I think. They lie with the hobbits. The Gondorians aren't super sympathetic a lot of times here. They're kind of, uh, I mean, Denethor's kind of screwy. Boromir, we already talked about him. <laughs> like, we get <have> Farimir, <laughs> but uh, a lot of our Gondorian characters are not particularly admirable. Um, right. So I think that's something going on there. Yeah, so I, I the final thing I want to say about it is that I really love the dialogue exchange and it's really a sort of two part three-way exchange between Denethor, Faramir and Gandalf. And we're both sort of Faramir and Gandalf take on Denethor. And it's just really well written and it's I couldn't read it out here on the podcast because it would take an hour. But go back please some you know if you're listening go back. Read that exchange. Read this book. Read, actually, just read the book. Uh, start with <laughs> page one. Um, get to this point. It's a really good point. Really strong, I think, example of how t- Tolkien could get these t- conversations really tense and really interesting as characters are kind of sparring with each other verbally and dancing around each other. And I think that's really cool. So you have Faramir exchanging with Denethor the sort of tension about what Faramir thinks is the right thing. Um, and Denethor does not. And Gandalf also jumping in to say... Well, what would you have done? And talking about what if that would have worked or have been smart. And... Yeah, so it, we don't yet know why Denethor Thor, by the way, is so out of it and so depressed. Uh, right. We're going to find that out uh, in a future chapter. It's not entirely his fault. I think this is sort of, you know, the devil's advocate side here. This isn't quite his fault, but uh, um, still, not a good guy. Not a fan.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's this this sort of irony about the disagreement that Denethor and Faramir have about, I guess sort of like the ends justifying the means or doing like sticking to your, your duty or to, uh, uh with, to your honor in a way, because the trouble that Faramir gets, uh, in, in this chapter is because he does what his father asks him to do without actually thinking is it practical? <laughs> right. In some sense, yeah. right? Like, and I just uh, that's kind of funny mm. um, but it's the right thing that's, that's, that's <laughs> the uh, right thing
1: to do right if, i mean farmers embracing the fight embracing the fate
0: right i think there's a lot of great prose in this chapter For um sure. i think yeah i think it's not i don't i don't read this chapter and pick out the the one liners that i feel like oh are are like um just standouts that represent the book um but i do think there it's just consistently good like a line where uh describing the the cry of uh the nazgul um where let's see pippin knew the shuddering cry that he had heard it was the same that he had heard long ago in the marsh of the shire but now it was grown in power and hatred piercing the heart with a poisonous despair and that's just that's just excellent right um the, the piercing with the poisonous despair um, alliteration its just consistently good throughout this chapter.
1: I like uh, how he writes Grond's approach. So Grond is that big battle oh, ramp that the orcs yeah, have. Yeah, that's great. And the way he writes that is he'll, he has a series of paragraphs, and each one starts with Grond crawled on. And then it would write, and then Grond crawled on. It would write pretty cool. I think that's a, a cool way to get the sort of marching inevitableness of that battering ram.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then there's actually, so there's Grand Crawled On that repeats itself at the beginning of, of the paragraphs and then um, there's two more pieces of repetition. There's In Road the Lord of the school, which yep. repeats itself twice um, in one paragraph. And then at the very last paragraph there is um, Horns, Horns, Horns all three in one sentence and so you have this sort of accelerating repetition as yeah. you uh, finally come to uh rohan had come at last
1: and i've talked before that i about, i've talked before about book five being tolkien's take on an epic by which i mean sort of a homeric epic think iliad think odyssey for a minute here we're in the mediterranean or tolkien sort of borrowed the mediterranean aesthetic uh, he's deliberately having characters speak more archaic language. You know, you notice the use of whence and thence that the Gondorians use. And they just dropped that pretty casually in a way that we have not seen from other characters in the book mm-hmm. to this point. Right. Um, we had things like this Homeric catalog of ships, uh, but they weren't ships. They were just the armies that were coming into Minas Tirith. Uh, it's about war, right? It's just it's a, a song of, of of war, so to speak. And, here you have, I think I think those repetitions, I think, remind me at least of sort of Homeric formula a lot, right? Hmm. Um, those f- stock phrases that get repeated. So if you read, you know, pick up the Odyssey, for example, you you see the same kind of stock formula gets applied to, like, dawn with her rose red fingers came. And that just means the sun came up, right? <laughs> like, it's a new day. Um, <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing. Um, over and over again. And the Wine Dark Sea is a pretty famous one, too. So I I think I wonder if he's borrowing from that. I, I there's not much said, like I think in scholarship about Tolkien being much influenced by ancient epics, right? Because so much of the focus is on Tolkien and his medieval literature uh influences. But I I'm still convinced there's something there. I th- I do think there's a little bit.
0: Well I think the influence there. has to be inescapable for just the culture that he was writing from.
1: Yeah, there's just no doubt. Yeah.
0: Um, You know, actually, uh, on that note uh, about this chapter, where really this book falling into epic, um, there is some relief of that in at least one point in this chapter. Um, But the relief is specifically with hobbits and tying um, us to hobbits. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, In this chapter, there's just one moment that I I marked that's, let's see, it's Pippin. Um, and he is uh, noticing Gandalf riding out to uh, rescue Faramir, and uh, he cries, Gandalf, he always turns up when things are darkest. Go on, go on, wh- ri- uh, white rider. Gandalf, Gandalf! He shouted wildly, like an onlooker at a great race, urging on a runner who is far beyond encouragement. And it kind of reminds me of like the description of... Um, uh, of golf in The Hobbit, right? This is something that ties in this this world to ours, um, because you know you're not really thinking about sports um, in yeah. you know this uh, epic uh, chapter, but that the hobbits tying them to uh, let's say normal people, to uh, regular humans. Yeah, there's just a like one line of relief here in that.
1: Another thing that's coming up here in Book Five, or in rather another common Book Five thing coming up in this chapter yet again. Is that we once more have characters wondering about something that we, the readers, already know there was what had happened there. So there's that dramatic irony, where we've seen it before, uh, with people wondering what happened to Aragorn, but we just read the chapter where we know he went to the Path of the Dead and he got safe, right? We right. see here Gandalf wondering why is Sauron nervous, why is he attacking so early, and he think it, we, the reader, know it's because Aragorn has challenged Sauron through the Palantir. I'm pointing out again because I think, it, I think this matters. I think right now it's a little funky that we're having these sort of backwards chronologies here where we the reader, read an event and then we read the characters wondering about what's happening while we already know. I think most authors would do it the opposite, right? Where you have know, characters wonder and then you would find out. Mm-hmm. And we're getting it kind of out of order. It's, that's strange, but I think there's a point to it. I, I don't think that point comes up yet in this chapter. I think we have a couple more to go. And then I will reveal, <laughs> so like, to speak, why I well, think that's important, what he's sort of setting us, setting us up for and priming us for. Um, but I do want to call attention to that here.
0: But you know what's great is that uh, I've already read this book, so I know ah. it's coming up in the future chapters. Yes. And there's, a, there's an irony to that. Oh,
1: you're, oh my God. This is a, <laughs> really meta with that. Um, but Let's yeah, um, we also get, by the way, one of the biggest displays of Gandalf's power. One of the big, biggest explicit, almost physical displays with right. the light that he shines to get Nazgul away. I don't really have anything deep to say about that, but <laughs> it is worth pointing out. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think it sort of works, you know, as the book is moving toward its climax. That's more appropriate that we see those things, I suppose.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think maybe the most evocative part of this chapter for me actually was very early on. Um, I really liked where, uh, the other horse, the, uh, the company of men that were riding toward the city, um, that were being preyed upon by the, uh, the black riders. Um, the description of what's happening is Baragond describing it out loud to Pippin or to anybody who's near him. Um, and so you've kind of got this like one step removed, like part of it, and you're really getting like uh, just a lot of emotion because it's a character actually experiencing it, telling you about it, rather than a narrator telling you about it. Because a narrator naturally doesn't, you don't feel how the narrator feels about something uh, as strongly as somebody who's actually observing it. And just the, having the part where the the beasts are, the horses are. Um, going mad, and Faramir is the only one who can he can control his horse and he turns around to save the others. I think it's just, a, I don't know, a great bit of writing, um, great bit of characterization, because it's... We're observing it? I don't know, it feels more real because there's more distance in between the description of it uh, and our knowledge of the situation. Anyway, <laughs> um, so... Uh, tr-
1: i'm ready for favorite lines you ready for favorite lines what do you guys yes why don't you
0: why don't you go ahead
1: okay so i one of the most famous passages in the book is in this chapter and i gotta read it i gotta say it's my favorite lines it's just so great the witch king lord of the nazgul has come to minas Tirith. it's at the very end of the chapter I see this posted online all the time. I see people quoting it in papers or whatever all the time. This is so famous. Uh, the Witch King comes, and this is what it says In rode the Lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond. He loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. There waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image, in Rothdinen. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back, fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. And it describes the Black Rider, I'm going to skip this one paragraph. I want to get to his response to Gandalf. He says, "Old fool," he said, "Old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain."
0: It's so good.
1: It's just so good. And it's, it's it's fantastic. I don't have. But I, I mean, there's some cool thematic depth there about um, Facts being, you know, staying, standing alone right on the among the free horses of middle earth which is kind of neat and tolkien sort of diving into that moment of giving the animals a kind of agency which is mm-hmm. cool and kind of curious but overall i think most people like this this paragraph this series of paragraphs because they're just beautifully written and they just really draw you into that moment and it's so tense some of the best writing i think of the book
0: yeah absolutely and it's i mean it, and you skipped the part of the description um uh but it's It adds to it as as well, like it's just this, um, uh, it's not even exactly, I wouldn't call it, I mean, it is a climax, but there's so much um, thematic focus on this one meeting, and it's wonderful. Um,
1: And it's striking that the chapter basically ends there. They're facing off, and then we hear the horns of Rohan. Right. And that's where it ends. And so we don't know where this is going to go. As always, Tolkien's Master chapter ending, so... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Actually, I, you know, not to talk too much, but the, um, I like the play of Gandalf talking about the nothingness that awaits. um, Mm. And the description of the uh, Lord of the Nazgul as he has a crown on with fire uh, beneath it, but no face, no head. And so, I mean, it's It's the nothing there, right? Like, he reveals his his hood and there is nothing there. Um, Yeah. Actually, my favorite line is after that, um, like, directly after that. um, And in that very moment, away behind in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn yeah yeah i just i i like this quite a bit i like the continuing theme that um there's something uh even beyond the uh conflicts on the ground right like this is kind of this is kind of very it's very similar to the the star the sam sees right
1: well we haven't gotten to that point yet. so i would oh okay sorry no (laughs) uh
0: so this is uh similar to something that might come up later who knows
1: who knows um all right okay with that being said then i guess we're done we are um next week on well next probably a couple weeks you know our pace is slowed down because realistically it's summer i'm traveling it's harder to get you know quite frankly i'm driving sometimes places i don't have internet um hard to get these things Uh, recorded every single week anymore Uh, but next episode whether that's in a week or two weeks uh, we are going to look at book five chapter five the ride of the Rohirrim